LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. Hello, this is Dave Ferguson, and I'm here with Five Leadership Questions Podcast, and with me is... John Ferguson, great to be with you, Dave. Thanks for hosting me. <laughs> and we're going to turn it over to Todd and Ben. What, how you guys doing? <laughs> we're pretty good. Well, I'm um, just glad that Dave did the intro because Todd messed it up twice, which is why uh, we're in this awkward moment that we are. Well, I was desperate times require desperate measures, indeed. I was used to uh, Daniel M's hello, hello. Because he's Canadian, uh, and Chandler, he tries to he he tries to mix it up every now and then. And I just said Ben, and usually I say Ben Mandrell, and I kind of introduce you. But you've been on the podcast so much now, I've just stopped at Ben. Um, but yes, well, hopefully, I know people either like banter or don't like banter in podcasts. Um, we bantered quite a bit before we got on, so I I, I just kind of want to get right into uh, the podcast today because guys, if you don't know uh, Dave and John and you don't know the books they've written um, and their story, you're really missing out. I'm going to tell you two books in particular that you guys have written that have really affected me. Um, you know, when, when I think about uh, from a church planting perspective, uh, I think about, and I think about leadership development perspective, I think Exponential was an incredible book. Um, it, you started out with Fibonacci sequence. Well done. I love the story. Now I can never use it. Um, you uh, you also have heavy leadership pipeline in there. And we've talked a little bit about that before. Uh, but then finding your way back to God uh, hit me personally in a way that, you know, pastors, we need to be punched in the gut every once in a while. And just reading that, um, I actually was tweeting through it, um, for you guys. This is a number of years ago now when actually people, Twitter was awesome and didn't kill itself with its own algorithm. That's beside the point. I loved that book and it really, uh, it really had a, a personal effect on me for that year. That was like my, my best book. So just want to thank you guys for that as well. Thanks Dad. Yeah. Thank you. Kind of you to say. Well, okay. So tell us a little bit about, um, about your all's, uh, context currently, both talk about church planting and talk about, um, your church in Chicago and the, the network as quickly as possible. And then we'll get into some more stuff. Sure. I'll, I'll jump in here. So <clears throat> yeah, we planted a church in Chicago 30, 30 years ago and we're still there. Both of us are still there. And one of the things that's, uh, come out of, that church is new thing, which is, I mean, God's blessed it in remarkable ways. Uh, we planted, I, let me phrase it the right way. We helped plant, uh, I think 982 churches last year. And, uh, we got about, uh, 380 some networks in 40 countries and, um, close to 6,000 churches that are reproducing churches. And maybe John, who really spearheads one of our most dynamic networks in Chicago. We had a, actually had a gathering this morning could talk about kind of the cool stuff happening there. Yeah, uh, yeah. Actually, we, we did our gathering this morning in in Chicago. Oh, just kind of back the back the clock up a little bit. Uh, most of our work was done in the suburbs up until probably uh, ten years ago. Dave and I always thought, you know, man, we'd love to get in the city somehow. And for Dave, it was like anything he could do to get closer to Wrigley Field. But uh, for me, you know, it was just to, to do the Lord's work. <clears throat> <laughs> Just thought I'd throw the gauntlet early. Sorry, couldn't help it. He loves the Sox. I love the Cubs. 
But, um, you know, so much need in the city. And when you look at the numbers, just the number of dynamic churches in the city compared to the suburbs, um, the, the number of people that just aren't a part of any life-giving church in, in, the, in the city. And then you, you look at the, um, you know, some of the, the justice issues that are just rampant in this city. So long story short, yeah, me and my family moved down here 10 years ago to come alongside a lot of the good work that God was already doing in the city and to launch new locations of community as well as do some church planting and um, yeah, now 10 years later, we've got um, um, a growing movement in the city. It's uh, intentionally multicultural, multi-contextual, multi-denominational, multiplying. <laughs> and uh, we've got five networks and uh, we have gatherings three times a year and they've been on Zoom for the last uh, three years. But yeah, it's been neat. God's been doing some really cool stuff. Today, we talked about uh, micro expressions of church and had Daniel Yang and Rob Wagner or Rob Wagner um, uh, talk with us. So it was, it was a good time. So talk to us a little bit about, okay, people that um, listen to this podcast are well-versed uh, with the number of authors that, that we have on here. And everybody knows it takes a while to write a book, but I think you guys really have written uh, a book that really speaks to where we are. Um, in the times and that it, that book is called bless and uh you you guys should be baptist i mean i'm just going to go ahead and put that out there you've got an acronym it all flows really together like just come on over just 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 just, just come on that just just all it takes a good acronym all right so so talk a little bit about that and and even contextually how important the message of that is at this time uh, and, and we'll break that down a little bit more because man, I just, I really think, uh, the subject matter of that book is a pathway forward for, for a lot of churches coming, um, who knows how long COVID is going to last, but coming out of COVID eventually. Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in here. Um, I do, I think it's been, I, I mean, I think we, we make a pretty strong case. This is how Jesus did it. But I think you're right. I think for the post-pandemic church, I think this is going to be a critical, really, really critical thing. And I'll throw a couple things at you. And first of all, I'll apologize for saying Barna on a Lifeway podcast. Um, but they did some research on it and they asked the question to unchurched people, like what do they value in people with whom they talk about spiritual matters? And their top three things that came back, they said, we're looking for people who would listen without judgment. We're looking for people who would let us draw our own conclusions. And then thirdly, they said, we're looking for people who have confidence in sharing their perspective. And what you have there, I mean, clearly is this kind of, they're looking for, they're looking for a friend. They're looking for a relational kind of like, you know, someone who'll lean in and listen to my story, not let make me a project, right? But instead a person, because you know, let me draw my own conclusions, but then the right time, I want to hear what you think and you have confidence in sharing it. And I, and we can talk about it. And I think when you take those findings and you couple it in a COVID and even a post COVID context where spiritual interest is up is because that's what always happens in crisis. People are clutching. They need something they want. They don't may not know it's Jesus or the church, but they want something transcendent. And then on top of that, I think because of COVID, they're looking for things in smaller context, safer context. So you put all those things together, something that's spiritual, something that's relational, something that's smaller. I think, I think that's where these blessed practices really come into play. Um, and, um, 
they've been they've been effective for us. We've been using it for the last eight or nine years at Community, um, but I'm very excited about it going forward. You know, there's a lot of conversation now that that you know content is everywhere. You can get get great content so easily, so quickly. Um, that really community and connection, the relationship, that's, that's the commodity because you've been so isolated. So I think it fits in with what, what you're talking about. And so this whole notion of the blessed practices, being a friend, Jesus was known as a friend of sinners. I mean, wouldn't that be a compliment if, if Christ followers were known in that way? And so that's where I, yeah, we, we feel like the, the, the blessed idea is, is just really uh, ripe for where we are right now. This is so uh, consistent with what I experienced as a church planter. Just people are hungry for relationships. People aren't looking for a friendly church. They're looking for friends. Uh, and when we were in Denver, there was a lady next door that walked across the street one day and said to my wife, she said, uh, we can be friends now. And my wife said, well, what do you mean? She said, you've passed my test. I was going to give you six weeks to judge me and you didn't. So we can be friends now. And that's how it is in the West, man. Like if you call yourself a Christian, they're just waiting for you to slap down the church invite. Like they've heard it before. They're, they're waiting for it. And so shocking them with authentic interest in their lives is really the way forward. And this is good news because statistically confrontational evangelism, very few people feel equipped for that, but relational evangelism, most people feel great about that. So this is good news for the church, right guys? Yeah. It's funny. You know what? This has been a few years ago, but I remember I had one of my neighbors and I won't say what, denomination they were a part of but they were they we had just moved in they come they come across you i think it was like the second time i ever even interacted with them i was excited about the time and they invite me to a bible talk i mean i'm a pastor and i was offended (laughs) (laughs) i'm like seriously you're you're just you don't know who i am you just want me to come to your bible talk well, and, and again, the relational trust that's built. I mean, we just live in an age where people are so skeptical of, of the sales pitch and it just takes a longer time to establish that rapport. Yeah. And I think somehow we've, we've got it in our head that, you know, we have to con- convince, coerce and uh, convert people instead of, okay, let's make connection. Let's be relational. Let's live like Jesus lived around people that he loves and let the Holy Spirit do the work. Um, but there's also some practical steps that we can take. I think that will lead us to the opportunity to uh, share them, like uh, share the gospel with people. I do think it's interesting though, um, from what, you know, the, the three big findings that you shared, it almost sounds like um, it's not confrontational evangelism. It is relational evangelism, but it's not that there's an apologetic element to it, but there is a maturity, uh, a, 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 uh, a spiritual maturity component to it to where, you know, maybe for a little while in the church growth movement, it was like, Hey, uh, you, you know, you do have to invite people to church or you just bring them, invite them to your life and then bring them to church. And then we'll, you know, do all this. It sounds to me though, that that person needs to be mature enough to then, or to at least confident enough to handle the conversation. And then when, you know, they don't know if they're hopefully confident enough themselves to say, I don't know, but I'll find out. But I, talk, talk to me a little bit about that. I'll jump in and Dave follow up. I, I think that's true, but I think one of the exciting things that I see in the blessed practices, and we can lay those out in a minute or two, but is that really anybody though can do at least the first couple. 
<laughs> you know, and maybe even the first three or four. And so while, yeah, I think it does reflect a certain level of spiritual maturity to maybe follow all the way through until you have an opportunity to tell your story and, you know, communicate that in a, a compelling way. Um, really, we found that anybody, um, anybody who's given their life to Jesus and is compelled by what's happened in their life uh, can in turn begin to bless the people and places around them in everyday ways that could actually, you know, lead someone to Jesus. You, you know what, Todd, let me, let's, let's go there a little bit. Maybe it doesn't take that much spiritual maturity. Cause maybe what's happened is we've created church cultures that have made people feel like for me to actually be a Christian, I have to aggressively try to convert people up. And so that's the, that's the culture we've created because I think the blessed practices are really something, I mean, I think the only ones that last one, the story part where you need to be able to tell your story, but even that, I mean, if you, that's like once, I mean, once you've kind of come to know Jesus, I mean, if you can just kind of tell that. If you look at, I mean, you know, statistically, if you look at who does share their, who does share their faith, new Christians tend to do that more. And it's not that they know all the answers. It's, it's just the fact that they're excited about it and, and they want to do it. I do think there's, there's something. And they still have a lot of friends that don't know Jesus. <laughs> right. I think it would be healthy for us to confess though. Um, man, it's really easy to let this go off the cruise control of your life. Uh, even as leader of Lifeway, I mean, I struggle. I mean, I have to like, sit down and make myself calendar this. It doesn't just happen by accident. It has to be something you, you decide it's willful, right? I, yeah, I think so. One, one of the things, and I would say we still have not done it well, but we're going to get better at this is within the context of our, our group life. One of the things that we're encouraged people to do is just simply ask, start your small group with who did you bless this week? And not as a manipulative thing, not as a weird cult thing, but like if you prayed for somebody, like, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, here's my journal. And at the bottom of my journal, I got a bunch of stuff I do in here, but one of my, I got my eight names of different neighbors here. And so like this week in my group, people said, hey, who'd you bless this week? I could say, I could, no, hey, here's the eight people I prayed for this week. And maybe I didn't listen, eat, serve, or tell the story, but I didn't, you know what I'm saying? I think if you do that, that, that provides an appropriate level of accountability and also allows it to get trashed. Cause you're right. Especially, especially for church leaders. A lot of people listen to this podcast. That's you, you can go on cruise control. Yeah. I mean, we, cause we, you know, our, our mission statement is helping people find their way back to God and you know, you, it's all of our website. It's on everything we print. You walk in the doors of our buildings and you know, we've got it on the wall. Uh, we wrote a book, finding your way back to God, which Todd, you mentioned, uh, and so what we found was like our people knew our mission statement. They could recite it. They understood it. They could explain it. Um, but they, they didn't know what to do with it. Like <laughs> they wanted and they actually wanted to live it out. And I think that's the case. I think a lot of people, they really want to figure out, OK, how can I in a way that doesn't feel pushy, like bad sales pitch or, you know, make my friends feel super uncomfortable? Can I share with them the love of Jesus? And so we it came out of like really just a frustration of wanting people to experience that. Cause we felt like they wanted to. Um, and we want to provide a way that, you know, before their feet hit the floor, when they wake up in the morning, okay, I can actually do this. I can help people find their way back to God. And, and here's what it looks like. Pastors may want to hear it because you guys do a good job. It sounds like of baking it into your small group culture, which creates a cadence of accountability. That's awesome. 
Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think that's that that that's what actually helps create the culture, and that's what that's what I really try to stress with church leaders and pastors. Is I mean, you know, it's one thing to have strategies, one thing to cast a vision, that kind of stuff. But if you can create a culture, a real outreach culture that around this relational style of evangelism, bluff, that's the game changer, and that that helps make that happen. So just break down, uh, you know, you, you've kind of mentioned some of the letters as we've been going, but just very clearly and plainly break down bless really quickly. Uh, so, yeah. So the first one is B and it's begin with prayer and okay. It's not, not a great way to start an acrostic, you know, when you're <laughs> having to go with begin with prayer, but it's better, trust me. Okay. It gets a lot better, but <laughs> it is begin with prayer and, and keep in mind with every one of these, you know, this is not something we made up. This actually goes back to, to Genesis 12. When, when God said to Abraham, I will bless you. And through you, I will bless all people. So it, it kind of stands on this whole notion that we are blessed to be a blessing. And then you look at the life of Jesus and he, he practiced all these things. I mean, before he started his ministry in Luke six, it says he went out in the mountainside and he prayed. And so over and over again, we see Jesus retreating to pray. And so we tell people, you know, if you're not sure um, who God might want you uh, to reach, then pray, ask him to tell you. If you know the person or people that he wants you to to bless or to reach, then um, start praying for them. And if you're not sure how to pray for them, I always just say, hey, pray for them in the way you'd want somebody to pray for you. It's kind of the golden rule of prayer. So the first one is begin with prayer. The second one then is listen. Listen, the L is for listen. And, you know, I think we would all have to admit that Unfortunately, Christians are becoming much more known for talking than listening. And one of the greatest gifts we can give to anybody is to simply listen to their dreams, their hopes, their desires. Jesus was a great listener, definitely asked more questions than he ever answered. So begin with prayer, listen. And the third one is, uh, I know my favorite, Dave's favorite too, and that's eat. And again, you look at the life of Jesus, he shared meals with people all the time, right? And they were life-changing encounters. And I think we've all had that experience where you know you sit down with somebody and have a meal and maybe before that they were just an acquaintance. And then after you've had a meal, it's like, wow, we're like best buds. Like it just has a way of moving any relationship from acquaintance to friendship uh, faster than almost anything else. So begin with prayer, listen, eat. And then Dave, you want to take the last two? Sure. And I, I think one of the things maybe to, if people aren't familiar with these is they do build on each other. They're kind of epigenetic. There's an order to them here because what we've experienced is that when you actually pray for somebody, and then you listen to them and then you eat with them. You share a meal and it might be a Starbucks or it might be a dessert, whatever. But if you're hanging out with them, they will tell you how you can love them, how to serve them, which is the first S. You Because know, basically what this is, I mean, I hate to make this, this is not a great sales pitch. This is just like a remedial course on how to be friends with somebody. <laughs> I mean, Todd, you did this with your wife, right? You saw her go like, oh my gosh, I hope I can date her. It's basically like a prayer, right? <laughs> and every chance you got, you're leaning in, right? You're leaning in. And first thing, you know, hey, honey, uh, not honey, because that would turn her off the first time. But hey, would you like to have dinner with me, right? I mean, and then if she gives you a clue about what you could do for her, you, you know, you, you show oh, up and you do it. And so this is kind of, so serve is the first thing. What? That is totally true. Because if you think um, about the <laughs> next level of strategy, and intentionality yeah. at which you we're pursue. talking about dating now, right? Yeah, but no, 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 no. Absolutely. I, I'm talking about that is a great analogy because it is a level of heightened listening, heightened intentionality. Um, and you are truly looking for that way to, to serve 
that person? What is going to make them happy? What is going to make them notice? She's yeah, walking. So, so She's often our serving becomes right about me right now. <laughs> <laughs> so often our serving can be about the person doing the serving rather than the person being served, right? And I think the listening before the serving and the eating ensures that the serving really is about the person we want to serve and not just to make us feel good about ourselves. And then the last S is story. And we've had lots of conversations about this. Proclamation is important, but I would challenge church leaders, it doesn't have to be first. In fact, maybe it's best put last here. And, uh, and that's where you get a chance to tell, share your story, like we talked about with confidence to someone who's now ready to listen. And my own experience has been, I think there were a lot of years, especially early on for me, where I was answering questions that nobody was asking. And I was just being one of those kind of obnoxious in your face, but I felt better about myself because I was saying something about Jesus. I love that in terms of the New Testament clearly says that to be an evangelist is to be a witness. And we think about a witness is just simply to testify to what you've seen. And I think if we could just move the goalposts in for church members a little bit and say, hey, a big part of evangelism is just simply testify, tell the story of stuff God's done in your life. And that in and of itself is powerful. And the story and your story, Ben or my story, means so much more to my next door neighbors after I've had them over, you know, for a cookout or just hanging out for a while than it does if I'm just like knocking on their door, showing up going, Hey, here's, you know, like in the old days, here's the two diagnostic questions. Let me hit you with the gospel. And so many of us, yeah. I mean, grew up in that kind of environment, well-intentioned, but man, I mean, it was all about proclamation. It was all about getting to tell them where, <laughs> where they, what they need to do, you know, whether it was the two diagnostic questions or the four spiritual laws or the Roman road or, <laughs> or whatever it might be. And good, nothing wrong with those tools. But uh, I heard somebody say, yeah, I, I grew up thinking I was supposed to be a super converter. <laughs> you know, I think a lot of us did and we felt guilty about it. And, you know, so I think the, the, the desire is there. The passion is there for a lot of people. And hopefully this puts, you know, a tool in their hands that really makes it just practical. You know, be, be a good friend to somebody. Here are some steps you can take to be that friend. And then when the opportunity arises, tell them your story. Tell them the difference Jesus has made in your life. Okay, I'm going to transition us now um, back over to uh, five questions, and we probably won't have full a full five now because we've enjoyed having this conversation too much. Um, but you know, when when you look back in your life, what what book do you wish someone would have given you as a young leader? I mean, this is a great this is obviously a, a great book that will be helpful to a lot of people just to put. You know, like in the old days, you did have different acrostics and different tools that you could use. This just gives you a, a framework that builds. I love how it builds on each other. Um, but, you know, whether whether it's a newer book or an older book, what book would you want to give yourself as a young leader? OK, so I think I understand the question. I This will be a little bit different, I think. Um, <laughs> I wish as a leader, someone would have given me a book that had to do with finances. <laughs> nice. Because uh, I think, I mean, church planner, right? So we plant a church. Literally, probably the first 15 years, we're just hand to mouth. I mean, it's like it comes in this week and we're paying, putting it out this week. And because I also grew up in a pastor's home, I you know, where we didn't really have any money 
And so I never had any money. I didn't, it didn't make any sense to me that you would ever, why would you, what do you, what do, you do with this saved money? <laughs> Where do you get this saved? <laughs> and um, so I think I would say as, as a leader, even though things went well at community, we had a tough spot along the way because I didn't, I didn't understand that part of leadership. So weird that I, like Dave, also grew up in a pastor's home. I know that's kind of strange, but I did as well. <laughs> and so I wish someone would have given Dave a book on finances before he started his church so we would have some. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. I'm the only one laughing. Are, I think it's are, are there any books, though, that you wish you could go back? Like, for instance, I would, I, have, I, loved, I I, I would have loved to have gotten Exponential when I was 21, 22 years old. It hadn't been written yet, but what are some books that you would go back and just gift yourself now? I mean, a book that's been, I think, influencing a lot of people, particularly in COVID that um, I hadn't read until probably May or June of last year is Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. I mean, Scazzaro's, anything that Scazzaro has written most recently, I think is super helpful. And I Oh yeah. I wish, I wish I would have read that in the first, you know, maybe five years of, of church planting and just, yeah, I hadn't even, you know, even to give him the thought to mental health and emotional health and uh, relational health. I mean, you know, I was 23, Dave was 25 when we started, you know, the church. And so, um, you know, I, I well-intentioned, you know, but I'm sure we just, you know, I'm not, I can't even imagine we had an ounce of emotional health <laughs> between us. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, that would have been, that would have been helpful. Yeah. Let me ask you guys a question on this. I was talking with some leaders this morning about how we often emphasize leading from our strengths and Buckingham's done some great work on that, but we don't talk enough about leading from our weaknesses. Uh, I don't know about you, but when I go to a conference and a guy stands up and says, here are the three biggest mistakes I've made and what I learned from him, from those. I mean, I really listen to that. Uh, so in terms of like mistakes you guys have made along the way or leadership failures, things that you just, you look back on now and it was a powerful teacher because it was a humiliating experience. What can you tell our listeners that might be encouraged that even guys like the Ferguson's mess it up once in a while? Um, well, I mean, maybe picking up on what John said too. I mean, when we first planned the church too, I, we had kind of a slogan of whatever it takes. And uh, that's, I mean, and, and Ben, you'll appreciate that. I mean, and if you're a church planner, you, you need some of that. Um, but within the first year, while we did get off to a good start, I mean, we, we, we totally, we had like our whole, the whole band, they all quit because somehow they were mad. That we made them. <laughs> they had to, they had to not only lead what we did on the Sunday, but also on a Wednesday. And they also had to do all set up and tear down. And we're like, you big weenies, what's the problem? And, uh, but yeah, I think all, I think all of them are all but one quit. Yeah. Yeah. When, what Dave fails to mention was that uh, I was the arts director at that time. So <laughs> guess you, know, you were so right though in yeah, church planting it, it, it does kind of draw that Navy seal kind of Christian that's ready to just grind it out. But man, that lasts for about six months. And then they're like, Hey, I'm a volunteer. Right. So I guess it was curled up in fetal position in the corner on Sunday morning, hoping we might, might be the beg, borrow or steal a drummer. (laughs) 
So, I mean, but that was, I mean, and that kind of, there is a, I think there, I think John and I both have a, a drive and neither one of us are afraid of hard work and enjoy it. But I think you're right as a young leader too, I think, and still sometimes as an older leader, I mean, it got, it got out of control and it crushed people along the way. Um, let's, and the, even my response to that first question about a book, which I think I misunderstood, but I think that probably comes from like 08, 09, where we ended up having to lay off a few people because all of a sudden the economy turns and, you know, things are great when you're going week to week to week, as long as the economy is good. I'd never been to a bad economy. I didn't know, you know, you ought to have a little bit in the saving just in case to give you. And I think that's another example too, where being too aggressive may have uh, cost us. Yeah. You know, on, on the multiplication side of things too, I'd say one, one mistake we made for sure. Uh, you know, so we started, it was, I think nine years before we ever started a new location, uh, 12 years before we ever started a church plant. And in today's, you know, world where multiplication is such a higher expectation and much more valued, that's forever. And so, and a lot of it I think is just that we never really drew a line in the sand and put a stake in the ground and said, by this date, with God's help, we're going to do that. And so in retrospect, I wish, I mean, we had multiplication in our, at the micro level from day one, like in small groups and teams and leaders and all that, but we really didn't have multiplication in the macro. We had intentions. It was in our vision statement, but we never set, set a goal date. I mean, there's just something about setting a date. And if you don't make the date, that's okay. Make it six months later. Don't make it nine years later, 12 years later, like we did. So yeah, man, that's that. really encouraging to hear. I didn't know it took you guys that long. That makes me feel much better about myself. Hey, what's the, what's <laughs> I mean, you I got started Dave all along? <laughs> we'll make it up for the last time. That's right. <laughs> well, you know, when uh, when I think about that question or, or or that scenario, what the story that you're telling now, it's not too uncommon. I mean, I had a similar story where, you know, I thought I was this great leadership development guy and read so many books and, you know, could do training and set up systems and all that. But there came a point in time where almost like, um, I could testify to you how I came to know Christ and testify to you how I figured out, you know, moving from Ephesians 2, 8, 9 to Ephesians 2, 10, what, what I'm supposed to do a sense of some calling there. But if I'm honest, there had to be a breaking point as well for me when I finally woke up to Ephesians four and that my job was multiplication, that my job was to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. I knew that in my head, but it took, uh, it, it took a moment in my life that was not fun to go through, um, to, to change me, to, to really break my heart and almost have a, you know, a third awakening uh, within my heart of, of what this was ministry was really about. So do you guys have a story? Like how did that suddenly, like what happened that, that made that suddenly um, a, a thing that you guys really pursued? Was there, was there one moment or can you share? I and Dave chime in. I mean, I, I think a lot of it was when our youth pastor came to us and said, I think God wants me to plant a church. And our visceral reaction was, well, we don't think so because we want you to stay here and continue to be a part of our team and be the youth pastor for our kids when they become teenagers. 
Um, but you know, what we've since found is that like when you have a staff person that comes to you and says that like they've already got the for sale sign in the front yard. I mean, it's a done deal. They're gone. They're just deciding now to finally tell you. And, um, you know, the truth is he, you know, went and cast some vision and it was actually in the Denver area and, uh, over a weekend and raised some money, came back and had an incredible amount of money already raised. And it was, it was just one of those deals. It was clear God was at work. And so at that point, you know, we had a few options. We could, uh, tell him to stay, which wasn't going to work. We could kick him to the curb and say, good luck, or we could get behind it and act like it was our idea in the first place. <laughs> and so, you know, we just, we did, we got behind it. And that was the first time we, we multiplied and lived through it. And, you know, I think became more convicted that that was how God wanted to expand his church too. But I think that, would you say, Dave, that was in a lot of ways, one of the f- points of kind of pivots for us when it comes to multiplication? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, I think, yeah. So it was, I mean, in some ways I feel like God kind of forced our hand and we, we actually, I and mean, we had 30 people who moved from Chicago out to Colorado to start the church. And, and that, that was actually the first church and new thing. So yeah, I mean, I think that's exactly what happened. Well, I, I wanted to ask a question that I think is really very relevant when I'm talking to pastors and church leaders right now, that maybe you guys could be a blessing to somebody who's really struggling in the ministry right now. Just can you guys talk a little bit about what it's been like to stay emotionally healthy through COVID? Just what what are some things you've learned that you're doing right now to take better care of your soul in a time that's just, man, it's tough to be a pastor right now. What, would you, what do you say to those pastors? Well, first of all, you're, you're assuming we're emotionally healthy. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. I am. So not a lot has changed since we were 23 and 26. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, I had it. Yeah. I think this last year has been, and I'll let John speak more after me. I, I think it's been the hardest um, as far as work. I think I've had to work harder than any other year that we, as a local church pastor, I do other things, but in this, I probably invested more this last year than any other, any other year. Um, there is, there's a, there's a pretty simple discipline that I think has helped me. And I'm and Todd and I may have talked about this in a, a previous podcast, but in my my journal, I'll uh, and I'll, I'm pretty pretty religious about this every day. I I always just write RPMS on the top here, and it just stands for relational, physical, mental, and spiritual. And this is where where it gets a little neurotic. So sorry about this, Ben. But I actually I'll give myself a number, like between zero and 10. And actually I'll kind of even compare it to the day before. And so if the number of like relationally is how am I doing my relationships and really prioritizing my marriage, my family, and then friendships, how am I doing physically, which really is to me a reflection. Hey, did I work out yesterday? Did I go for a run? Did I do any lifting? Uh, Mentally, am I in tune with what's going on in the world? Am I reading anything? Am I taking in current events? And then spiritually, am I doing this kind of stuff? And so I give myself kind of a, a number and even an arrow either going up or down or a dot means it's staying the same from the day before and then kind of a total. Um, what, what that does for me, it kind of helps me know which direction I'm headed. And I think for most leaders, what often happens is we drift and it happens kind of one kind of day or, or just a little increment at a time. And then we suddenly find ourselves somewhere we didn't mean to be at all. Like, 
relationally, I didn't, I never meant to be this far from my wife and end up in a divorce or physically. I never meant to put on 40 pounds or, you know, I can go down the list. And I think for me, this is just a way that if I check in, it kind of makes me tell the truth about myself every day. And that's, I don't think this solves everything, but it's been a, it's been a big help. Man, that's really good. I heard a guy last week say, we never drift to any place that we want to go. <laughs> and that's really good, that's good watching word. those four character qualities. It's good. How about you, John? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think the that whole RPM, then we kind of get that from Luke 252, you know, Jesus stature in favor with God and man. And it's, it's, it's a template that we encourage our staff to use as well. Uh, but I mean, you know, just to be quite honest, you know, I did, I did most of those things too, pretty religiously and pretty carefully, but uh, I've, I mean, this past year was definitely the hardest for me. And I, you know, I don't know if it's COVID, if it's the additional isolation, if it was just some circumstances around work or, or, or what it was, but I, I can relate to a lot of, a lot of people that I've talked to across the country that, you know, I, I, basically hit a wall. And I mean, I never experienced it before. And I've told people, you know, as a leader, and I think as a, a pretty assertive, aggressive leader, you, you you often have kind of like a fifth gear that you put it in. And there's moments when you have to put it in fifth gear and you know you can. And I hit a point this past summer, where I couldn't find fifth gear and never experienced that in, you know, 30 years of ministry, but it was a definitive moment. Like, oh my goodness, what, what do I do? And things that in the past were super easy became difficult. And, um, you know, and it was like, I was grinding that gear and it just was not to be found. And so, yeah, I mean, I've, <laughs> I've read more books on emotional health and spent more time with, uh, in counseling and I uh, took a month off and just really trying to, um, you know, step it back a little bit to, you know, figure it out. I'm in a better place now than I was for sure then, but I, I, I feel for, you know, a lot of the guys and the men and women that, that are just struggling it and it, you know, it can happen to anybody and there's no shame in that. And I think, you know, we've tried to, you know, with our staff, create a safe place to talk about that. And, you know, we brought in people like uh, Pete Scazzaro and, and Drew Hewn and um, a couple other people, uh, Mindy Calgai or two, just to talk to our staff and help us make sure that we're really, being yeah. um, aware of our emotional health. So yeah, it's, it's, it's real, man. Man, that's great. And thanks for normalizing counseling that mm. it's not just for the people who are on the edge. It's for all of us. Uh, man, I just feel like one thing I've learned this year, cause my wife and I've been going through some counseling. It's been really helpful for us. I just, I should have gone a lot sooner. Like there's just a lot of stuff I should have worked through 10 years ago that I just have put on the shelf. And this is a good time in COVID to deal with some stuff that's been put on the shelf. Yeah. And that is one of the, you know, kind of unexpected, you know, fun aspects, I think, of, of, of COVID is spend more time with my wife. I think in the last year than we probably did the last, the previous five and my, you know, 24 year old son was living with us for like three months. That was cool. So, um, yeah, there's been some definite benefits as well. Okay. So I have one final question for you guys. Who or what has been the greatest leadership influence in your life? Uh, I don't know if this is the, the greatest influence, uh, but kind of an it's interesting influence on our church and myself, I think, is a guy named Lyman Coleman. And um, uh, Lyman Coleman is the actually the brother of uh, somebody other listeners might know, Robert Coleman, who you know, wrote uh, Master Plan of Evangelism. But, but Lyman uh, used to tour the country leading um, conferences on how to how to develop small groups that would welcome people that were far from God as well as people that are, you know, been longtime Christ followers. He was super passionate about it. And, um, uh, and he was just a kind of a interesting guy that 
really helped us, I think, understand relational evangelism, relational small groups, and, and in, in a lot of ways, um, what it really means to help people find their way back to God. And uh, not a guy a whole lot of people have heard of. He had this thing called the Serendipity Bible. Maybe some people have seen that. But um, yeah, he, he was an influence on us, I'd say, for sure. Um, I'll add two more names to that real quick, and I'll make it brief. Um, one would be, um, or if you'll, was Lyle Schaller. Lyle was a guy who uh, wrote about 50 books, uh, edited another 50. Um, that was probably the first half, first 15 years of life of our church. He was um, kind of a, just a church life guru, and he happened to live in the same town that I lived in. So he would like just, he'd invite me over to his house. I could find him in the library. And actually when we went multi-site, like he basically told me everything to do. And there's some stuff that every, like the whole, like I think like the term campus pastor, like he just made that up in his, in his living room. Cause I was like, okay, so we got this opportunity to go long story short, real estate developers are going to buy another piece of property. We're going to go to two locations. And he's like, okay, here's what you do. You need someone who's in charge. Okay. And then some, and somebody who everybody can answer their questions, you can answer all the questions and whoever it is at that location who's in charge and answers everybody's location, you should call, just call him a campus pastor. So I like take, I took notes and everything he said, and we just did it. And some of the things are still out there. And he was, he was brilliant. The other person I would say is Bob Buford, who I who really kind of, I think helped, I think in some ways the whole hero making thing. I mean, you've, you, I've seen you tweet this out too, Todd. I mean, you know, he was the one who coined the phrase, my fruit grows on other people's trees. And, um, and he was, he was that to me and lots of people. And uh, I think helped really kind of create that culture and leadership. Guys, thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, we, as always, great conversation, fun conversation. Um, the best to me is, is when, you know, you have a good time and you learn something. Uh, and we can all tell that you you guys actually practice some of these things uh, that you're, you're talking about. That um, this book, knowing you guys, your story, your ministry, um, how many leaders come out of your ministry is astonishing. You all don't buy leaders. You've been building them for years and years and years. And that's one of the things I really appreciate about your ministry uh, and about your network. So. Uh, for those listeners to go out, do pick up a copy of Bless, um, but also look at new things and look at Exponential and look at some of these other books that we've been talking about as well. Uh, and also, if you had a good time with us today, please hop on over to iTunes and leave us a rating. Thanks for listening.